Our master of media, DJ Mendoza, put that video together last month. Did a great job on that. That's on the homepage of our brand new website uh, that Patrick is building for us. I encourage you to go to that website and check it out. Uh, I think you'll be pretty pleased with what you see there. Uh, and so I wanted you to see that this morning because the Lord has laid on my heart and mind over the last few days some things I'm pretty excited to share with you. But I want to make sure we have a strong scriptural foundation uh, before I share some personal thoughts. And so I want to make sure you have those Bibles in hand. you have a Bible with you today? Amen. So if you've got a Bible app on your phone, you can use that. But personally, I'm a little old school. If you have a Bible app on your phone, you probably also have 20 or 30 other apps. I love seeing Bibles in hands because when you have a Bible in hand, you tell everybody the Word of God is a priority. There's nothing else going on here, no other apps, just the Word of God. And so however you have it, whether it's old school or whether you have that app on your phone, make sure you're open to Acts chapter 1 as we dive into God's Word today. I also encourage you to have those message notes from your bulletin. Uh, We're going to be in Acts chapter 1. If you're using one of those blue Bibles from the rack in front of you, you'll find this on page 1077. We are going to dive into this message today looking at the very first church, the very first impact church, the church in Jerusalem. The year was 30 A.D., and this small group of praying Christians made a tremendous impact on their community. And we're going to see how they did that today. So we're in Acts chapter 1. Say amen if you're there. I'm going to read for us the first 15 verses and then skip to chapter 2. Read a few uh, sections from chapter 2 as well. So we're kind of just hitting some highlights in these first two chapters today. And our lighting on the stage is having some issues, and my eyes are getting old, so I'm going to pull them out for the first time on a Sunday. I've been hesitant to do this, but yes, your pastor's getting old, I guess. Here we go. Acts chapter, hey, I can read the words this week. I've got to be honest, when I was up here two weeks ago, I was looking down at my Bible. Holly found an exact duplicate of the Bible that was falling apart that I've been preaching out of for over 10 years. The cover fell off and I couldn't use it anymore. And so we were looking for a way to get it rebound. To get it rebound was 90 bucks. She found a duplicate Bible gently used for $10 online. So woohoo! One of the best gifts I've gotten in a long time. So I was so excited. I came up here with this Bible for the first time two Sundays ago and I opened and started reading and I couldn't see the words. And so glasses can be a wonderful thing. Acts chapter 1, starting in verse 1. Here we go. In my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave them many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Excuse, Yeah, 40 days. I almost didn't read that word. <laughs> And spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father is set by his authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their very eyes, and a cloud hid, them from, uh, hid him from their sight. 
They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going, when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. This is a good time for an amen. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the hill called the Mount of Olives, a Sabbath day walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. Let's skip down to chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and, and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Utterly amazed, they asked, Are not all these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language. Let's uh, go ahead and skip down to uh, verse 36. Peter preaches a sermon as they go out into the streets from that room where the Holy Spirit had descended on them. And so they go out on the streets, begin preaching, and and, uh, the message is understood in everyone's native tongue. And Peter is the main spokesman. He preaches this marvelous gospel message, and this is how his message ends in verse 36. He says, therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and to the other apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God, enjoying the favor of all the people, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. May God bless us as we study his word today. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. You know, Lord, I've been very, very busy in recent weeks. And I felt like some very important things needed to be shared today, Lord, but I I didn't know how to share them. And I, I don't think that I had the fire to share them. But you've been doing a work in me these last few days. And I thank you, Lord, 
for lighting a bigger fire under me in these last 48 hours, getting me more excited, more inspired, more in love with you, looking with anticipation to these days ahead. Thank you, Lord. And I pray, O God, that this God-given excitement would be contagious in this place today. Some of us, Lord, may be feeling a little stale in our Christian walks. Some of us may feel like we're a little stagnant and not growing. Lord, light a fire underneath us today as you share with us some lessons from this very first Impact Church. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, after Jesus rose from the dead on Easter morning, he remained here on earth for 40 days. And during that 40 days, according to 1 Corinthians 15, he showed himself to over 500 different believers and followers of Christ. And so there were no shortage of witnesses that witnessed the resurrection, resurrected Jesus in the days after Easter Sunday. And during those 40 days, on several different occasions, he spent some quality time with his remaining 11 apostles. Remember, Judas Iscariot had committed suicide after Jesus had been arrested, so there were 11 remaining. And Jesus revealed himself on several occasions over those 40 days to those 11 remaining apostles. And here in Acts chapter 1, verses 4 through 8, it says, During one of these visits with his apostles, Jesus told them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Holy Spirit to empower them for ministry. The book of Acts, the 28 chapters in this book, record for us the first 30 years of the Christian church. And the theme verse of the book of Acts is Acts 1.8. It gives a beautiful outline of the entire book. In Acts 1.8 it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses, number one, in Jerusalem, number two, in Judea and Samaria, all of Judea and Samaria, and number three, to the uttermost parts of the earth, or as it says in the NIV, to the ends of the earth. That's the three-step mission. First of all, this hometown. So for a lot of those 11 apostles, their hometown had been Capernaum. But Jesus made it clear before he ascended into heaven, your hometown is no longer Capernaum. Your new hometown is Jerusalem. This is where you're going to put down some stakes. And this in your new hometown is going to be where the Christian church begins. And so you are to remain in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you'll be my witnesses first in Jerusalem. And there will come a time where the Holy Spirit makes it clear it is now time to move beyond the borders of Jerusalem to the regions of Judea and Samaria, throughout all those regions. And then the Holy Spirit will make clear to you that you move beyond those borders to the uttermost parts of the world. This is your three-step mission. You're going to share the message of Jesus Christ, the good news. You're going to be his witnesses in your hometown and in the surrounding regions and then to the ends of the earth. Stay in Jerusalem. Acts 1.14 shares with us what those disciples were doing in the days leading up to the dissension of the Holy Spirit. Because you remember what happens there in Acts chapter 1. Jesus ascends from earth into heaven. And he says very soon the Holy Spirit will descend from heaven into you. 
And so Jesus goes up, and very soon the Holy Spirit will come down. Jesus was with his apostles for 40 days after Easter Sunday, and Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down, was 50 days after Easter. So there was this 10-day period between Jesus' ascension into heaven and the Holy Spirit's descension onto earth. And so the question we naturally ask is, what were those apostles doing? What were those 120 Christians doing? During those 10 days when they were waiting for the Holy Spirit to descend? The answer is right there in verse 14. What were they doing? It says they all joined together constantly in potlucks, right? They were probably eating, but that wasn't the main thing they were doing. They all joined together constantly in in prayer. They're not playing video games. They're not having potlucks. They're not doing all these different things. They are singularly focused on praying. And what were they praying for? What were they praying for in those 10 days? Well, if we look at the end of chapter 2 and we look into chapter 4, we get a pretty good idea of what the church was doing. You see, the church in Jerusalem was a praying church. It was a praying church. And if we look at the end of chapter 2 and we look at uh, chapter 4, we see that they were praying for at least three things. First of all, they were praying for God's guidance to make godly decisions. We find that even in chapter 1. They knew that they needed a 12th apostle to replace Judas Iscariot. They prayed for God's guidance in choosing the right man to take Judas Iscariot's place. Secondly, we find that they prayed for boldness to share the gospel and to preach God's word. We see that in chapter 4, verse 20. They prayed for boldness to share the gospel. And then thirdly, we find that they prayed for the Holy Spirit to come upon them and to empower them for impactful ministry. And so they were praying for at least these three things, praying for God's guidance in making decisions, praying for boldness to share the word of God effectively, and number three, praying that the Holy Spirit would come upon them and empower them for impactful ministry. So in the days leading up to the launch of Impact Christian Church, what do you think God is calling us to pray? Do you think he's trying to speak to us from Acts chapter 1, verse 14? As those Christians, 120 of them, were gathered there in that upper room, packed into that small facility, packed into that small room, and they were praying for the Holy Spirit to come, praying for God's guidance, praying that God would empower them for effective ministry. Do you think maybe God is calling for us to pray for the same things? Absolutely. Absolutely. God is asking us to pray for His guidance to make godly decisions, to pray for boldness to share the gospel and preach his word in our community, and pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon us and empower us for effective ministry. How many of you think that your ministry is not as empowered as it needs to be? Every hand should go up. How many of you say, you know what, my ministry is just fine the way it is. Man, it's as powerful as it can be. I don't think so. We need more of the Holy Spirit empowering our ministry, don't we? How many of you say, you know what, I'm having great results when I talk to my family about Jesus. Every one of them gets saved every time I talk to them about Jesus. Anybody? All my neighbors, I invite them to church. Everyone I invite, every single one comes to church. Anyone? We need our ministry empowered, don't we? And so these Christians in Jerusalem prayed these three things. God is calling us to pray for these three things. Tomorrow night, we have our weekly prayer meeting here at the church. And I want to encourage you to be coming on Monday nights. I'll be here with our prayer team tomorrow night. 
And we're going to prioritize praying for these three things. We're going to be praying that God would empower us for effective ministry. We're going to be praying for boldness to share his word because in September we're going to be knocking on some doors and we're going to do an even more intense effort to invite our community to the launch of Impact Christian Church on October 6th. And we're going to be praying, we're going to be praying that God will fill us and use us and give us wisdom to make godly decisions. Amen? We're going to be praying in these eight weeks leading up to this church launch. And by the way, speaking of prayer, if, if you didn't come forward this morning, but you need prayer for physical healing, if you need prayer for your marriage, if you need prayer for some depression you're dealing with, if you need prayer for your finances, I encourage you to come out tomorrow night, 6.30, right here in this room, and we will pray over you tomorrow night. It's a wonderful thing to put it on your communication card and say, team, please pray for me. And we prioritize that every week, praying for those prayer requests. But there's nothing like being here in person and having Christians gather around you, lay hands on you, and pray for that need. Amen? I encourage you to come tomorrow night. You be praying these three things with us and allow us an opportunity to pray for you. There are 28 chapters in the book of Acts. And in almost every chapter, you will find prayer. And the book of Acts makes it clear that great things happen when God's people pray. Amen? Great things happen when God's people pray. I love how Warren Wearsby says it. He says, prayer is both the thermometer and the thermostat of the local church. For the spiritual temperature either goes up or down depending on how God's people pray. Let that sink in. The prayer of Christians in the local church, is both the thermometer and the thermostat of our spiritual temperature. Do you believe that? That if you look at a prayer life of a church, if you look at a church's prayer life, you can pretty accurately determine how hot or cold that church is. If you look at the prayer life of a group of Christians in a church, you can determine by that prayer increasing whether or not the spiritual temperature is going to increase. Or by that prayer decreasing, you can pretty well guess that that temperature is going to drop overall in that church. It's both the thermometer and the thermostat. Prayer taps into the power source of God, and it is prayer more than anything else that sets a church on fire for God. This past week, I read several commentaries on Acts chapter 1, and one of those commentaries pointed out something I had never thought of. Here in Acts 1, you had 120 Christians who were praying together in unity, and, and as Peter steps up as the leader in that church, they step up in unity to follow Peter's leadership together. There are no signs of any criticism in Acts chapter 1. There's no signs of infighting. And this commentary pointed out that that is absolutely remarkable because of what had been taking place in the prior few months. Remember what had happened just a few months earlier while Jesus was still walking and talking with his apostles here on earth. A few months earlier, remember that James and John, along with their mommy, went to Jesus and asked him something. You remember what they asked him? Can we have the best seats in heaven? As Peggy said, can we sit with you in heaven right next to you on your right and your left? And what did the other apostles think of that? I can't believe the nerve of those guys. And they wanted to give them a piece of their mind, didn't they? 
Those other apostles were ticked off at James and John. There's no sign of that here. Remember what had just happened less than two months earlier. Peter, the lead apostle, the spokesman for the apostles, Peter, on the night that Jesus needed him the most, on the night that Jesus was arrested and eventually led to the cross, Peter denies three times ever knowing Jesus, and one of those denials was in front of a little girl. The lead apostle cowered in front of a little girl who challenged his faith. And there's no sign that the other apostles are holding this against him here in Acts chapter 1. It's water under the bridge. They got over it. They moved on. You look at the other apostles' blunders that happened over the past few months. It's remarkable the unity in this church in large part because it was a praying church. There's no signs of disunity. There's no signs of infighting. They had made blunders, they had made mistakes, they had goofed up in the past, they had let Jesus down, they had let each other down. But they came together in prayer because God was on the move. God was on the move. Despite their differences and blunders, the church of Jerusalem united together in prayer, and ten days later, their lives were ignited by the Spirit of God. Could the same thing happen to us here at First Christian Church? Could the same thing happen to us? Could the same thing happen in the Victorville Church? As we unite together in prayer, praying for God's guidance and praying for boldness and praying for the Holy Spirit to empower us for effective ministry, can our lives be ignited by the Spirit of God as their lives were in Acts chapter 1? The answer is absolutely. There's no doubt about it, church. Believe it and pray for it. As if you believe it. In the early verses of Acts chapter 2, the Christians in Jerusalem were ignited by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit descended on them, empowered them to speak God's word boldly. And either the Spirit was anointing the mouths of those 120 Christians to be able to speak languages they had never learned, or the Holy Spirit was anointing the ears of all of those thousands of listeners in the town so they could hear the gospel in their own native language. Scholars disagree on which it was. We don't know for sure. He was either anointing the mouths or anointing the ears. Either way, everyone could hear the gospel message in his own native dialect. It was an absolute miracle from God. Then in the power of the Holy Spirit, Peter steps forward and he preaches a a clear gospel message which ended with those words we read a few moments ago in verse 36. Peter ends the sermon by saying, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, do you remember what happened in verse 37? Look at it again in chapter 2 there. Look again at what happens in verse 37 says the people in the crowd were cut to the heart and said to Peter and to the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? In other words, what do we need to do to get right with God? What do we need to do to get saved right now? Well, let me ask you, church, when the people in the crowd were cut to the heart, was that a Peter thing or was that a God thing? But Peter just preached the sermon, right? After he preaches the sermon, the people are cut to the heart. Was it a Peter thing? And all God's people say, no, all five of you, thank you. Uh, All God's people say, was it a God thing? 
It was absolutely, without a doubt, a God thing. Peter, as wonderful as a preacher as he was, could never soften a single hard heart. He could never preach a message that would cut someone to the heart. That's something that only God can do. And the same holds true today. I can't cut anyone to the heart with my message. I can't soften a single hard heart with my preaching. I can't open a single closed mind. That is a God thing. The only way that my words can lead someone to salvation and the only way that your words can lead someone to salvation is if God is speaking through us, right? Right? And the only way that God is going to speak through us is if we invite him to speak through us. God almost never will speak through someone who doesn't ask God to speak through them. Don't miss this. The prayer of the Jerusalem church ushered in the impact of the Jerusalem church. And there weren't just 10 or 20 people in the crowd that day that were cut to the heart and asked how they could be saved. There were 3,000 people in the crowd that day who were cut to the heart and wanted to get saved. According to verse 41, 3,000 people repented of their sins and were baptized that day. I would have loved to have seen that baptism service. I don't think it was just the uh, 12 apostles who were doing the baptizing. I think all 120 had to jump in and help with this, because that's a lot of people to baptize. And, man, they were baptized and left and right. 3,000 people before the end of the day. Absolutely remarkable. Now, I want you to think about the growth of the church. It says in, in Acts chapter 1, the number that was gathered there in Jerusalem, the number of Christians was around 120. So in one day, the church membership in Jerusalem went from 120 to 3,120, right? So think about that growth rate. 120 to 3,120. Try to wrap your mind around this. That is an increase of 26 times. In percentages, that's a 2,600% increase. That's some pretty good church growth, isn't it? For comparison, let's consider FCC Victorville. I'm guessing we have somewhere around 130 in the building today. Okay, about 130. So, if our attendance multiplied this week by the same rate that that attendance multiplied in the Jerusalem church in Acts chapter 2, next weekend we would have here 3,380 people. That's some remarkable growth, don't you think? Imagine if we went from 130 to 3,380, we would have to quickly this week make some changes. The, the staff and the elders and I would have to get together and figure this out. But here's probably how it would look next weekend when you come. We would have to have a worship service on Friday night. Uh, we would have to have at least two services on Friday. And we would probably have four or five services on Sunday. Because this building maxes out with around 400 people between this room and the children's ministry wing. So if we are at standing room only for about six services to eight services over the weekend, we could probably handle 3,380. But that would be a lot of growth in a short amount of time, wouldn't it? That kind of growth isn't growth that can be described as just good. That kind of growth can't even be described as even great. That kind of growth is absolutely explosive growth. Amen? And that's the kind of growth this church experienced in Jerusalem on the heels of that united prayer. Now we ask the question that I think we need to ask, 
does God do this on a regular basis, going from 120 to 3,120? And no, this was a unique time in the history of the church. Well, what I can tell you is over the last 2,000 years, there have been many times in the, in the continent of Africa and in the Middle East and in Europe and over in Scotland and England. There have been times in China in the past century. There have been times in Latin America and even here in the United States where over the last 2,000 years God has moved in an exceptional way. Oftentimes we refer to those seasons as the time of revival where God's Spirit came down in an exceptionally powerful way and literally thousands of people were saved in a short amount of time. So we may never see another example in history of going from 120 to 3,120 in one day, but there are plenty of examples of how God has moved in an exceptional, explosive way. He has done it before many times, and I don't know about you, but I believe God is going to do it again in our time, in our community. I believe that with all my heart. Now, let's look closer to home. Here in the Victor Valley, as best as I understand it, in the history of this Victor Valley, we've never had a remarkable, earth-shattering revival. As far as I know, unless I've missed one, I don't think we've ever had a massive revival, an explosive growth of the church in this Victor Valley. But as I said, I believe it's coming. I know exactly when it's coming, but it's coming. I, along with many different Christians and pastors in this community, have been praying for 20 years for revival. Those of you who are regulars at a a Monday night prayer meeting may have noticed when we have these prayer journals up on this table in front of our prayer meeting, Almost every single time I'm here for the prayer meeting, I write down two things. I pray, number one, for revival in Christ Church in the Victor Valley, and I pray that 50,000 souls would be saved in the next six months. I've been praying for revival. I've been praying for a massive move of God for 20 years, and believe me, I'm not alone. Christians are mobilizing for prayer, praying that God would open up the heavenlies and, and rain down on this community like never before. Mark my words, revival is coming. I just don't know exactly when. But let's look at our church specifically. Well, back in 1925, 55 Christians were used of God to start a little church. At the time, it wasn't called First Christian Church. You may not know that we haven't always had this name. It was Church of Christ early on. The name was soon thereafter changed to First Christian Church. But there we were in 1925, 15 Christians gathered together. They wanted to start this church because they felt led to have a place where they could worship God together, where they could grow in their faith and learn his word together, and where they could make an impact in our community for Jesus Christ together. As many of you know, in 1925, we started to establish some roots in downtown Victorville on the corner of 6th and B Streets. Several of you here today were a part of that 6th and B Church. And between 1925 and 1994, for 69 years, that's where we called home. And that's where we did ministry. Most of you probably don't know that in our secretary's office, there's this little book. It simply says on the cover record, and then one of our secretaries years ago, 
typed up a little label and adhered it to the front of this book, and it says, Record of Baptisms. This little book is kept in Holly's desk drawer. I don't know which secretary years and years ago started it, but there's a page dedicated to every year since 1925. And I went back this last week and was looking through this book. I looked at every page and every year, starting with 1925. Pastor was the Reverend A. Ted Goodwin. And it says that Margaret Williams was baptized on May 31st, and then Lena Abbey. I made my way through the first 15 years or so of our church's history, and I didn't recognize most of the names. And in fact, most of those first 15 years don't have any names. I don't know if that's because the records weren't kept very well back then, or simply there weren't many baptisms for certain years. I don't know. But I got to the year 1939. And there was a name that leapt off the page. 1939, early in the year, a certain young lady was baptized by the name of Marjorie Turner Wilde. Many of you know Marge Wilde. She passed away three years ago. But Marge Wilde gave her life to the Lord in 1939 as a part of First Christian Church. And Marge served this church faithfully after that point for 77 years. And during those 77 years, she served in so many different ways. And during those 77 years, she was one of many members of First Christian Church that was responsible for leading many to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. I flipped through the next few pages, and I got to the year 1946. And in 1946, there was another name that leapt off the page. Here's the name. Francis Turner. Most of you know her as Fran McAkron, sitting right over here. In 1946, Fran gave her life to the Lord. And over the last 73 years, Fran has served the Lord faithfully here at First Christian Church, doing all sorts of things. And in those 73 years, she was one of many that helped lead a number of people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Even today, Fran is still serving on our missions committee here at the church. Because she has a heart for seeing people get saved. Well done, Fran. Well done. I flipped through the remaining years, and by the time we get to 2016, we ran out of pages. So Holly had to, back in 2016, buy a new little book. And so in our new little book, it records those who have been baptized here since 2016. And we've got these two little books that record all of those who were baptized in the past 94 years of the life of our church. And this last week I did something I had never done before. I totaled up the number of baptisms. I was curious how many were baptized during those first 69 years at 6th and B. I was curious how many were baptized over the last 25 years here on the former George Air Force Base. And I began to dream about what may happen in the days to come. And so this surprised me a bit. I looked at those first 69 years when we were there at 6th and B Streets. And I looked at these baptisms. And as I said, some of these years, maybe they forgot to write some down. But according to the record book, over those first 69 years, we were able to lead 297 people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit worked through us, ones like Marge and Fran and so many others who have gone before us, in leading 297 in Christian baptism 
as they gave their hearts to Christ. As most of you know, in 1994, we moved out here to the former George Air Force Base. It was a a big decision. I've described that decision to move out here to the former base as a brilliant act of lunacy. It was brilliant in the sense that it was strategic because it was a huge facility. And at the point, at the time, at least in the years leading up to when we moved out here, this was the economic engine of the Victor Valley, the largest employer in the Victor Valley by far. This was where it was at up until about 1992. And so it was a brilliant act, but lunacy in the sense that it was a decommissioned Air Force base. But we took a leap of faith. We moved out here in 94, and we had no idea at the time of knowing that very quickly this would turn into a dilapidated ghost town. Victorville had some big, bold plans back then, and we had no idea that we would be here 25 years, and it would get uglier and uglier and more and more dilapidated. Well, we've been in this ghost town for 25 years, and I was curious what the Lord had done. Back this February, Roy Esterbrook, one of our elders, and I, we sat down with Larry Winger. He has for many years served the church organization, the independent Christian church that we're a part of, and he has ministered to literally hundreds of churches around the country. He's been exposed to hundreds of churches around the country, and he knows a thing or two about churches that grow and churches that don't grow. And we spent about four hours with him in February, and we, as part of that four hours, went to Farmer Boys there on Roy Rogers Drive and had lunch together. And I was sharing a bit with Larry about our situation and frankly, at the time, I was feeling a little bit down because, man, we're trying everything to grow this place. And we were sharing our thoughts about maybe moving to the school. And Larry said something that I hope I'll never forget. Larry said, you know, I've been exposed to a lot of churches. If I were to call together several dozen pastors who each pastor a church of around 500 in attendance, if I was to gather together several dozen pastors and bring them to your church's location, and asked them this question, could you grow a church in this location? He said 95% would say no. And then he proceeded to say, Dane, Roy, your church is an anomaly. I'm surprised you've done as well as you have in that location. I tell you what, that lit me up inside. Because as the pastor over the last 20 years who've been up, who's been up against the trees looking at the statistics day after day and, and year after year, I look at the statistics and I've gotten frustrated at times because there have been several times that we've been here in the last 25 years where our attendance has gone over 200, but it's always been short-lived. It always dips back into the hundreds. And we have these ups and these downs, and we've never been able to maintain growth in this church. We've never been able to get people through the front door for the first time fast enough to continually grow this church and see God minister to more and more people through the ministry of this church. And there's always seasons in the life of any church where a number of people go out the back door. Sometimes they go out the back door in a casket. There's other times people go out the back door because they move out of the area. We were sad to see Glenn and his family move to Montana a few months ago, but it happens. God calls people elsewhere. And there's times people get upset and head out the back door. We've had the toughest time keeping enough first-time visitors coming through the front door to maintain consistent growth. And I've gotten down over that over the years. But then I thought about what Larry said. We are an aberration. We are an anomaly. 
most churches that are much larger than ours couldn't have done as well as we have done here. And then I looked at those statistics. What have we done over the last 25 years here in this ghost town? So let me set this up for you. 69 years in downtown Victorville in 6th and B Streets. 69 years we led 297 people to the Lord. Over the last 25 years, catch this, in the ghost town, right up the street from a federal penitentiary. And I don't tell this to everybody. There's actually four penitentiaries there. There's a maximum, two mediums, and a, and a minimum security. Four penitentiaries rolled into one, right up the road from it, here on the outskirts of town. In the last 25 years in the ghost town, God has used First Christian Church to lead 581 souls to Christ. And that blew me away. I knew there had been hundreds, but until I added up those numbers, I had no idea how many. And what an awesome privilege it's been. And so my cranks began to turn here. And, and I was last night uh, sending a text over to Patrick. I'm sorry if you were in your gym jams, but I, I was at 10 o'clock. 10, I'm texting Patrick and saying, hey, did, did you find out how many people live within a five-mile radius of our new location uh, there at the Ralph Baker School. And could you find out for me how many people are within a five-mile radius of our current location here? We know this. Within a one-mile radius of our location right here on the former George Air Base, within a one-mile radius, we have a grand total of zero neighbors. Not a single person lives within a mile radius. If you look at a five-mile radius... The best we could determine in a five-mile radius of this location, we have just over 12,000 people living. If you go to our new location and look at that, within our new location, one mile, there are several thousand that live within a one-mile radius. And catch this, within a five-mile radius, I was guessing there were as many as 50,000 people. Patrick ran the chart. He ran the demographics. Within a five-mile radius of our new location, Not 12,000 like we have here. There's 78,800, excuse me, 78,647 people within five miles of the new location. And so as I was thinking about the last 94 years and what is to come, I thought, well, Lord, if we were there in that little building at 6th and B Streets, not in the greatest neighborhood, and you used us to lead 297 people to Christ in 69 years. And here in the middle of this ghost town, on the outskirts of town, up the street from a penitentiary, you've used us in 25 years to lead 581 souls to Christ. Lord, what could you do in this location where we have within five minutes 78,000 neighbors? I believe within 10 10 years of moving to that location, God is going to lead us to bring 1,000 people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If God can lead 800 plus in 94 years in two locations that aren't that great, imagine what he can do if he puts us in a place where we are where the people are. Oh, my friends, I don't think that is that big of a vision. God can do much more than that in a single day. God can do much more than that in a single day. And he can do it through you and me. Do you believe that God can use us? 
over the next 10 years to bring many more people to Christ than we brought to Christ in 94 years. Do you believe it, church? Well, I do. And we need to start praying like we believe it. Join me in this word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. And we thank you. We thank you, O Lord, for what you've done. Almost 900 people led to Christ over the last 94 years. Thank you, Lord. Please, Lord, forgive me for times that I've gotten down as I've I looked at attendance numbers. And, Lord, I haven't considered what's well beyond those attendance numbers, the souls that you're touching through the life of this church. Thank you, Lord, for those 580 or so souls, Lord, that have been touched over the last 25 years. Uh, we've been in this location, Lord, that has been so challenging for us. And, Lord, I am excited about what's going to happen in the days to come. I am excited, Lord, of the enthusiasm that's already growing in our community. As people have been telling Holly as she's handed out those invitations and telling Patrick and others of us as we're handing out invitations, wow, that's much closer to my house. I'm I'm so glad you're moving closer to where I live. Lord, as we go with this mission to impact our community for Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray that you would do more in the next 10 years than you've done in the past 94 Lord, we believe these 94 years have provided a a solid foundation. Lord, I believe that revival is coming to this Victor Valley. And I believe, O Lord, you are going to allow us to be a part of this revival early on, in large part because of our faithfulness to you over the past 94 years. Lord, you entrusted us with little, and we've been faithful with little. As you in the next eight weeks are going to entrust us with much, we pray that we would be found faithful with much, O God. I pray, O God, that you would use us in a powerful way, in greater ways than you have ever used us in the city of Victorville. O God, I pray that you would guide me and our staff and our leaders as we make decisions. Lord, guide our decision-making. May it be of you. May it be godly. God, I pray secondly for boldness that you would enable as those disciples in Jerusalem prayed in Acts chapter 4. Oh God, enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And thirdly, Lord, we pray that you would fill us with your Holy Spirit and empower us for effective ministry. Lord, as we invite people, as we share Christ with people, as we pray with people, as we love on people, Lord, would you supercharge those efforts and fill us, O God, to do greater things than we could ever do on our own. Would you use us in new and exciting and earth-shattering ways, O God? Would you do more in the days to come than you've done in the days past? Holy Spirit, fill us. Holy Spirit, use us. Holy Spirit, inspire us to do what you have called us to do in the strong and mighty name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. 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 His strength is perfect when our strength is gone. He'll carry us when we can't carry on. Raised in His power, the weak become strong. His strength is perfect. His strength is perfect. Church, I'm so glad that you're a part of this with us. I am so glad that you're a part of this. Staff and I, were working hard making all these preparations. And you are going to be excited and blessed and proud of what you see as we make this move.
And I know that this move is challenging for some of us. I know some of you are wrestling with this and wondering if you have a part to play in it. And I want to let you know this morning that God has you in this church for a reason. God has you here at this season for a reason. And God is going to use all of us together to do a greater work than we have ever done. And we're not going to allow the work of ones like Marge Wilde and Fran McAkron to be in vain. First Christian Church will live on. That front name may be a little different. But First Christian Church is going to live on and do a greater work than we have ever done. We're going to carry on the spirit of those founders in 1925 that had that desire to make an impact in this community. And I believe when that revival comes, God is going to allow us to be a key part of that because of our faithfulness. We've been faithful with little. He's about to give us a little bit more to be faithful with. And we need your help. We need you to be a part of it. And I hope as I'm excited about this that you're excited too. We need some more helpers to sign up. We need a little bit more help in our nursery. If you're a man who likes to build stuff, I need to talk to you right after this service because we've got a few things we need to build in the next four weeks. Be ready for that launch over there. We've got those signs out there. We've got those invitations. Take them. Use them. Patrick needs a little bit more help with the worship ministries. This Thursday, did you mention it already? This Thursday. Go ahead. Come and share with us what's going on, Patrick. You can just use my mic. It'll be a little quicker. So we're looking at, you know, on this Thursday from 5 to 7 here, we're going to be doing some auditions for musicians, for singers. So if if you know how to play guitar or you know how to play bass, if you know how to, if you can uh, sing a tune, sing a melody, we'd like to invite you. We'd like to really grow um, this praise team, this worship team, and really just see, you know, just honor and and glorify God in, in the and the songs that we sing and the instruments that we play. So, uh, yeah, it's going to be on Thursday from 5 to 7. Thank you, Patrick. Lots of great opportunities. I'm super excited about what's to come. Hope that you are as well. September is going to be a month of prayer. And so get ready. We're going to be praying through those neighborhoods. We're going to be praying here. We're going to be anointing chairs and everything we can do to just make sure that God is all over October 6th, and God's doing an amazing thing. I wish I had more time to share with you all that God did just this last week. One quick thing. So I've been talking about our liaison with the school district, about getting the banner hung up, actually two banners on the perimeter fence of the school. A lot of schools would say, no, we don't want any church advertisement on school property. This is a public school. He had already told us we could do that. We've got two five-foot by ten-foot banners being printed right now, and they'll be placed probably next weekend on the perimeter fence of the school. I was hoping that we could put those banners up on Friday night after a week of school is done and leave them up until Sunday night and then take them down for Monday morning school because most schools don't want them up when the kids are there. The liaison told me on Friday, go ahead and leave them up all the time. Starting this Tuesday, Starting this Tuesday, there's going to be over 700 students going to that school every day during the week. Next weekend, we get those banners up as they come to school for week two. There will be 700 kids and their families seeing those messages about Impact Christian Church coming October 6th, seeing them every day they come to school. And those banners will be able to stay there 
until the ACLU finds out. One of the reasons we need to be praying, because you know, if God is up to something as big as I know He's up to, there's going to be attack. There's going to be temptations for division among us. There's going to be temptations to head out that door and say, this isn't for me. We need to be together on this. We need to be in prayer over this. And we've got a fight on our hands. But if you will join us in this fight through prayer and through the ministry of the Word, I guarantee you these are going to be some of the most fun days of this church you have ever seen. It's going to be a blast as we see so many people coming to Christ and so many people growing in their faith. Do not miss next Sunday. Next Sunday, I'm going to share with you what God has been laying on the hearts of our staff and our elders about how we can help all who come to this church to grow in their faith. If someone was to ask you, what's the purpose of a Sunday morning at First Christian Church? If we ask 10 different people here, we might get 10 different answers. We're going to share with you some clarity God has given us about the purpose of a Sunday morning in one word. We're going to share with you the purpose of midweek studies in one word. And we're going to share with you a mission that's much easier to memorize than this that's on the banners behind me. God has been laying this on our heart. It is a process to help anyone come to this church and give their life to the Lord and grow in their faith. So if you've been feeling a little stale or a little stagnant, we're going to share with you next week what God has shared with us about how we can help anyone grow in their faith. We're going to share with you a ministry process. We're going to share with you our plan for how we're going to do what we do with greater effectiveness than ever before. So don't miss next Sunday. God's going to bless you as you come and learn and we do this thing together. Let's have a great week. God bless you, church.